With every story we hear, listen to, read, or tell, we make basic human connections that help define who we are. Welcome to Afterwards Paranormal, the podcast devoted to those stories that tell us who we are when we're in the dark. Listen closely now. The dark is speaking, and the need to be heard never dies. It's time for Home is Where the Haunt is, the portion of our podcast devoted to personal experiences with ghosties and ghoulies. Have a story to share? Send it in to afterwardsstories at gmail.com. We're dying to hear from you. The Ghost of Oxford Milford Road by storyteller, writer, and editor Brad Culp. When Brad Culp was a student at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, there was a rumor that the town was one of the most haunted places in America. When Culp started an online campus magazine, he couldn't wait to write about several of the area's most famous phantoms. Not long after his story was published, though, he kept thinking about one ghost in particular, the ghost of Oxford Milford Road. As the story goes, many decades ago, probably sometime in the 1940s, there was a young man courting a young woman in a rural part of town. Because the woman's parents didn't approve of the match, each night he visited under the cover of darkness. After her parents went to bed, the young woman would sneak out of her farmhouse and flash the lights of her parents' car three times. Then, her young suitor would ride his motorcycle down the road. One night, he took the turn right before her house a little too sharp, says Culp. The motorcycle went one way, and he went the other. His injuries were so severe that he did not survive. Rumor has it, however, that his love-struck ghost still haunts this stretch of Milford Road. Curious, Culp, his girlfriend, now his wife, and a friend decided to head out there one night to see if they could verify the tale. His girlfriend was worried that she'd be completely freaked out. She believes more in that stuff than I do, Culp says. But he was mostly concerned that his suspicions, that none of this was actually true, would be confirmed. On this particular night, as Culp passed the abandoned farm, an idea came to him, and he pitched it to his girlfriend. How could she not say yes? Though reluctant, she relented, and Culp turned a short way into the farmhouse driveway. He killed the engine and flashed his lights three times. No joke. There was a single headlight that appeared three-quarters of a mile down the road, Culp said. You saw it starting to come, going pretty slow. It kept coming and coming. My wife was freaking out. It was coming closer and closer. As a collision seemed imminent, Culp turned on his car lights. He expected to see a kid on a bike bailing out from his prank now that he'd been caught. But there was nothing there. The light was just gone, he says. They got out of the car. They walked around trying to figure out what it was they could have seen. To this day, we still talk about it. 
I saw something I cannot explain, he says. If you get him and his wife around a campfire, they'll swear up and down that the story is true. And if you're ever in Oxford, Ohio, consider parking for just a few minutes on Oxford Milford Road at night to test your own nerve. Hello, and welcome to episode 110 of Afterwards Paranormal. Did you think last week was 110? Well, it wasn't. I got off my counting. I'm going to blame it on Halloween withdrawal. This week's episode promises to be spellbinding. Our story, Grandma Grunt by Donald Burleson, is about a witch, or someone who seems to be a witch. The main character doesn't believe she is, which proves to be a big mistake. Did you know that there were different kinds of witches? I did not. Here's the information I found about the types of witches. Let's start with coven-based. A coven-based witch is a witch who operates as part of a wider group of witches, perhaps led by a high priestess, who combine their magical powers and skills to create stronger, bigger spells and manifest outcomes for the group and beyond. Covens focus more on ceremonial, and ritualistic magic. The Solitary Witch This witch works alone and under their own steam rather than with a group of witches. A solitary witch can follow one particular branch of witchcraft or a combination. The Hereditary Witch Just like the name sounds, a hereditary witch is someone who inherited their powers or practice through their family line. Some know they are witches their whole lives, Others receive powers later in life. The Crystal Witch Crystal witches are deeply connected to the vibration and power of crystals, gems, rocks, and stones, and they practice crystal magic to manifest, amplify, and attract energy. These people see auras, feel energies, love shiny things, and enjoy making grids. The Cosmic Witch Cosmic witches are all about astrology and astronomy, and they are largely focused on the lunar energies of the moon cycle and spells that amplify or protect against celestial events. They are clued up on star signs and birth charts, but their practice is active, not passive. They seek to change energies by using their knowledge. These folks are attracted to the skies above and enjoy the scientific complexities of the workings of the universe. The Green Witch These magical workers are all about nature, healing, and nurturing. They draw their power, tools, and rituals from the earth and great outdoors. They use plant, flower, and herbal preparations as a primary source of spell ingredients and ritual contents. Green witches are drawn to the natural world, have a gift for healing and soothing, and enjoy gardening and tending to plants and herbs. The Hedge Witch the hedge witch is very similar to a green witch, but is not as solely focused on nature. A hedge witch works alone and doesn't adhere to any strict dogma, religious, spiritual, or otherwise. Hedge witches develop their own kind of magic, focusing primarily on creating healing remedies and often working with the elements, nature, crafts, and herbalism. 
Everything is kept simple and basic, and all rituals are non-fussy and minimalist. These people crave solitude and wish to create their own brand of witchcraft unique to them. The Plant Witch Like green witches, plant witches work with plants. Their practice might focus on a connection with nature. They may study history, traditions, and cultural associations of different plants and herbs, as well as use them in rituals, potions, and spells. The Grey Witch Grey witches straddle the divide between white and black magic, using whatever suits the situation. They will use curses and hexes when the situation calls for it. Many witches will not go there. Witchcraft typically follows an ethic of working for the highest good. Grey witches typically seek justice and the correction of unfair circumstances, redirecting bad energy to where it should have gone in the first place. They will often call on the unseen spirit world to help them. Grey witches are drawn to the darker arts or relish fighting greater evils in the world. The Eclectic Witch A little bit of this and a little bit of that. Eclectic witches tend to cherry-pick whatever practices, rituals, beliefs, or ideas feel natural and good to them in the moment. After all, witchcraft is a very personal and unique pursuit. Many novice witches begin as eclectic witches, but many stay that way too. The Folk Witch A folk witch practices folk magic passed down through their family or through their local community. They often focus on the history and origins of a practice and may work with plants and objects that are native to their location. The Novice Witch Novice witches are simply beginner witches. They may start out following a certain doctrine, depending on their teachers, but then over time experiment with other ones. you got to go your own witchy way. The Kitchen Witch As the name suggests, a kitchen witch focuses on the kitchen. They incorporate magic into cooking and baking, and they might choose herbs for their magical properties just as much for their taste. Kitchen witches might prepare meals for specific holidays, purposes, or rituals to share with their community or coven. House or Hearth Witch These witches focus on the home and might also be a kitchen witch and or a green witch. Hearth and house witchery often involves focusing on objects and rituals used around the home, like herbalism, candle magic, and ritual cleaning. The Ceremonial Witch Yup, you guessed it. This witch is all about the drama of a ceremony. They focus on ceremonial magic or high magic. They focus on ceremonial magic or high magic, which often involves more elaborate or specific rituals than everyday magic. The Sea Witch Sea witches have a special connection to the ocean. They might practice water magic, use seawater in their rituals, bring seashells home for their altar, and pay special attention to the moon because it controls the tides. So, which witch are you? I believe I am a sugar cookie with lemon frosting witch. Beware, we are the deadliest kind of witches, for if we see you eating a sugar cookie with lemon frosting, We will turn you into something unpleasant and take your cookie. You are listening to Afterwards Paranormal. 
the podcast that offers you dark tales from literature, lore, and you, the listener. If you're interested in contributing stories to the show, please stay tuned after the story for details. Donald R. Burleson has published over 20 books, some fiction and some nonfiction, hundreds of articles and over a hundred short stories. In the fiction field, he is a horror writer, having produced both novels and collections of short stories, many of the latter appearing in numerous major anthologies. He is also a mathematician and an avid UFO enthusiast. He and his wife live in Roswell, New Mexico, the UFO capital of the U.S. And now, Grandma Grunt by Donald R. Burleson. Like Jason Mitchell's childhood itself, the apartment building was a bygone structure now, a relic, fallen away like a half-forgotten dream. Ah, but only half-forgotten. He remembered many things about his far-off early years here, and like his memories, the old building itself was not gone beyond recall. Portions still stood, their ragged outlines marking the night sky like the battlements of some time-lost castle noble even in its ruin. Whether the place had ever really been noble, he couldn't say, but it had been home. Strange to be back here, back on the corner of Jesperson Avenue and 3rd Street after all these years. Back here, old and half-lame and wheezing from the walk across town. How long had it been since he cavorted, all bright young eyes and lusty lungs with his friends on these streets, in the city? Sixty years? No, longer. Oh, God, appallingly long ago. The dirty sidewalk was empty now, yet the very air seemed charged with restless ghosts writhing awake in the echoes of his mind, a diaphanous crowd of milling reminiscences. He'd been a tough guy then, an impoverished, streetwise kid feeling all the seasoning of his ten years. The gang he'd hung out with had never gotten into any serious trouble. They had only presented to the world a face of impudence mirrored by kindred faces in ten thousand such bleak streets in a hundred such tired old cities. A collective face of prematurely world-weary urban youth with nothing in life's colorless, seemingly endless span to do. Well, they did used to have some things to do, especially in those sultry days of summer when the schools disgorged them upon the streets. They had managed to keep busy enough. They had tormented her, for one thing, sometimes mercilessly. Right down there, in that old alleyway between this building and the next, itself in ruins too now, to the left as you went away from the street corner, that old alleyway whose yawning entrance now the wan light of rising late October moon only half-heartedly tried to illuminate. The old alley, where now a breath of night wind moaned through the crevices, making a sound like a low, lonesome flute note. In there, that's where she used to sit, a sorry mess of rags on a rotting wooden chair. Grandma Grunt, they had called her among themselves, and Grandma Grunt they had often called her, tauntingly, even to her face. She was a witch. Or so the smaller children had always said. 
Of course, the smaller children, younger brothers and sisters of Jason and Hanks and Billy's and Tommy's and Lester's, would believe anything. That the tooth fairy really came in the night. That a grasshopper could spit tobacco in your eye. That if you went all the way up over the bar on the swings in the playground, you would come back around turned inside out with all your tubes and shiny wet organs hanging out for all to see. So no wonder they believed in witches. They believed they knew one. Grandma Grunt. No one knew, no one had ever known, her real name. No one knew where she slept, probably in some dank cellar. She was a rich vein of folklore around the neighborhood, to the little children and to some of the adults alike. Seemingly, only Jason's own age group, stridently all-wise and pubescent, were indifferent, unmoved, skeptical of the things said about the old woman. Such as Jason's own mother's remark one night, that she had seen her raise a thunderstorm by elevating her rag-tattered bony old arms and muttering, reaching for the scattered clouds and snorting like a pig, and mouthing unintelligible imprecations at the sky. His mother and his Aunt Lucille had really believed that, that Grandma Grunt could raise a storm, and could do heaven only knew what else. It was because she did grunt like a pig, anyway, that the kids called her Grandma Grunt, sometimes even prancing around her in the grimy alley and chanting, Grandma Grunt, Grandma Grunt, witchy, witchy, Grandma Grunt. Even though this would sound childish in the extreme to a passerby, Jason and his friends had been just big enough to make a shameful ritual a little threatening, something a little more than the cruel but harmless foolishness and caprice of children. When one of them would veer too close to the old woman, where she sat in her incredibly filthy jumble of rags, or when one of them would venture to poke her in the arm, she would actually grunt like a wild boar. Her ancient lizard face, an uncomprehensible nest of wrinkles, would contort like some nameless thing disturbed under a rock, and her arms in their mad fluttering tatters would flail like bird wings, and a vile yellow spittle would overflow her mouth and she would curse the offender in hissing, gurgling syllables that no one could quite understand. Tommy Fenton, nine years old and quarrelsome, had shoved her down in a puddle of rainwater in the alley one day, and she cursed him. And three days later, Tommy Fenton, coming out of Fletcher's Market and dashing across 8th Street, was run over by a garbage truck. It was a coincidence, of course, Jason knew, but it was the talk of the neighborhood for quite some time and people didn't quickly forget the old woman's behavior toward the boy, provoked or not. Some heads nodded, some tongues clucked. Yes, she was a witch. Jason had had reason to ponder the question of witchcraft, if only to reject it, because shortly after Tommy's death, the boys were hounding Grandma Grunt one day, and suddenly decided, like blackbirds taking to flight in unison, to leave her and scamper away on some other errand. Jason had been the last to turn away, and in that instant the old woman's eyes met his, arresting his gaze with their feverish glow, and she had snorted, Gnack! I'll gnack! get you some day. That was years ago, but he had never forgotten. She had clearly meant for him to never forget. Pulling his coat collar tighter against the chill breeze that had come up, he hobbled now toward the old opening to the alley. Long ago, long ago, those memories seen through the prism of so many intervening years. His father had gotten a better job, 
and the family had moved away when Jason was barely eleven, and everything had changed. There were new friends, a suburban neighborhood, suburban schools, and later college, graduate school, a family, a career teaching English at the state college, retirement, his wife Nancy's death, the encroachment on his own fragile being of illness, purposelessness, and a lonely old age in which he felt recently more nearly able to trust his memory of the distant past than his memory, his fumbling grasp of yesterday or last week. He didn't really have any clear recollection, for example, of getting the sudden urge he must have gotten to come here, here, the old neighborhood, the remembered street corner, the alleyway. What had he been doing when he felt the urge? He couldn't remember. Over the years he had thought of Grandma Grunt from time to time, but he had never, so far as he could recall, wanted to return to the place where he remembered her, and time had replaced his tough ten-year-old bravado, that audacious bravado anxious to repudiate all adult understanding and all folklore of younger sisters and brothers, replaced it with a more worldly and sophisticated skepticism. In his youth there had been no witches because people younger or older believed there were. Now there were no witches because... because there just weren't. Any educated person knew that. He stepped into the entrance to the alley, where just enough of the surrounding brick walls remained to still make it an alleyway, but where the pallid play of moonlight, though finding a path here and there through the crumbling walls, largely had to give way to a maw of darkness. But just within sight, at the edge of the pale reach of light, he saw something. A mound of rags. And he smelled something in here, in the closer air of the passage, something undefinable but distinctly unpleasant. He looked at the formless pile of dirty rags, and in some crazy way half expected it to move. And it did. It seemed to shudder and shift a little, on its own? Or had the wind subtly touched it? He stepped closer, peered at the cloth tatters, and began to pull at them near the top with his fingers, shredding them away like the layers of an onion, until at length he thought, in the uncertain light, that the rags had begun to look different. He only realized then that he was looking at an astonishingly ancient and wrinkled face whose folds of sickly skin could scarcely be distinguished from the filth-choked tatters in which they were embedded. He thought it must be an illusion, this face, but an illusion would not have opened two baleful yellow eyes to stare at him. It was unthinkable, preposterous. Why, she had been exceedingly old then, when he was a boy. As if in sardonic response to this thought, a confusion of wrinkles beneath the eyes widened into a cruel smile in which a crusty tongue ran snake-like over a staggering row of rotten teeth. You! He was shocked at the horror in his own voice. The smile creased out wider still. Knock! In a way loathsome to see, the whole mass of rags convulsed with the pig-like snort. When the voice came out, it was like the dry scuttering of spiders. I told you I'd get you some day. He choked and sputtered, suddenly intensely angry. You? Get me? I'm not a boy of ten anymore, you know. With the grunt, 
this time a sickeningly protracted sound from deep in the well of her throat. The creature lifted her arms, bony arms feathered in dirty rags, and in the same instant the sky rumbled with thunder. Huh! He was furious now, though he had the feeling, in some corner of his mind, that his anger was an avoidance of some other emotion. Don't give me that nonsense about raising a storm. You're not a witch. I never believed you were, even when I was a child. Then, the woman croaked, you were a fool and are. She clenched her fingers, thin and angular like talons at the end of her outstretched arms, and the thunder grumbled in the sky once more, longer and louder this time. He laughed, though it sounded hollow to his ears. <laughs> Save your antics for someone more credulous. You can't raise a storm. You can't raise anything. She drew her arms back in and glared at him, her face gloating and horrible with a smile that had nothing in it of mirth, and she spoke one more time. I raised you, didn't I? In that awful moment he remembered. He understood everything. He had only a few seconds to reflect, but in those fleeting seconds, with a black veil of clouds drawing across the face of the moon, and with thunder reverberating through the alley and a cold rain beginning to fall, he remembered the beginning of his walk across town, and he also pictured in his mind the scene that the police would find if they ever entered this forgotten place. They would find an untenanted mound of dirt-encrusted rags, and in front of it, a fallen pile of less accountable debris. He was almost savoring the irony of it, the humor residing in the realization of where it was that she had raised him from. When, her spell no doubt having released him, his consciousness faded into grainy disillusion, and the very contours of his face and limbs began to slide, amidst an exhalation of steam and an odor like rotten meat, cascading into a nightmare of bone and sinew and gravesod on the rain-dampened ground. And the moral of the story is, respect your elders, for you do not know what they might do to you after you're dead. Thank you for joining me here on Afterwards Paranormal. I've been your host, Shelby. And as always, I leave the last words for you. Thank you for listening to Afterwards Paranormal Podcast. Please join us on Patreon and Facebook. You can listen to Afterwards Paranormal on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact us at afterwardsstories at gmail.com. And remember, the need to be heard never dies. Thank you.